you, 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 you give us a hard time for being white, being American, and being in control. I did more for our black population than anybody other than Abraham Lincoln, okay? And nobody's even close. If you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, and you ain't black, it's our God, Jesus Christ, has turned the tables on you. Amen. Victory. I hear a sound of an abundance of rain. I hear a sound of victory. The Lord says it is done. I bet he can't wait to go home and be, become a black man again. This is Profane Faith a podcast that engages faith on the margins, faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Hey fam, how's it going out there? Profane Faithers, what's happening this week here? Really, it's the uh, Memorial Day weekend. It's when I'm recording right now. And uh, hopefully you had a good Memorial Day weekend. Uh, Yeah. Um, Well, here we are, another week, another place, uh, another guest. Uh, I'm going to get to them in a minute here. But uh, I just really wanted to just, uh, you know, check in, see how things were the last couple weeks. We've had some pretty good um, uh, episodes, at least uh, if I say so, if I can say so myself. <laughs> um, I know I'm a little biased with all that, but uh, nevertheless, um, I, I really appreciated last week. If you didn't get a chance to, um, to to come to the live event, I had we had a really great time. Uh, Sister Tamisha Tyler was on there, uh, my man John Gill, Dr. John Gill, uh, both who have been on the show before. We had an amazing live event um, on Facebook, and it connected to ARC as well. Um, and uh, it, I'm going to post that in the show notes. So if you didn't get a chance to come, that's okay. As you know, this day and age, everything is... Um, you know, it's it's electronic, so you know it's captured. So I will link that in the show notes from last week. Um, so go there, check that out. As always, whitehodgepodcast.com. Check out Profane Faith and their show notes for each episode. Um, you know, just to get to know folks a little bit better, and especially if they're promoting something, uh, it's always helpful just you know to support some folks. Um, but one of the things that's been on my mind this week, uh, and that kind of leads into this week's guest, um, is what is the purpose of religion? Uh, two special episodes that I'm that I'm currently working on, and they've been kind of creeping up in my mind. And, and usually when I say I'm currently working on a lot of stuff happens in my mind, uh, and then I just got to get it out to, you know, pad and pen. Um, you know, it, it is... Is is well the other subject that I was that I was looking at is is God um, conservative in or, or really the title is God must be conservative and really taking a look at what does conservatism mean uh, what does it mean to hold traditional values uh, what does it mean to hold a traditional worldview of you know gender roles um, I'm curious about that and I'm also curious uh, to see how that plays. A role in politics, uh, obviously, you know, in education, 
Um, you know, as we're t taking a look and seeing just with, um, you know, critical race theory, the attack on critical race theory and critical race studies, um, you know, that continues to come from a predominantly uh, right wing uh, mindset Republican. So I, I'm really curious, you know, what is God? I mean, because, you know, we see God and God's not too tolerant in the Old Testament of, of a lot of stuff. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe God is just that. I don't know. Um, so I'm, those are some things that I'm trying to um, pan out. If you yourself are interested or you know somebody who should be uh, in conversation on that show, hit me up. Um, you can always send me information just via the contact page, either to whitehouse.com or whitehousepodcast.com um, or just go to Profane Faith, the main page. Uh, there's a little link there. You can drop me uh, a message there too. Um, yeah, and then of course, you know, I'm really been wrestling with what is the purpose of religion? What is what what is its use? What is its uh, what is its 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 measures of social control? Um, what are its you know um, precepts in terms of you know what do you have to know to get into it? Right? What you know are denominations really um, important? What do they provide? I mean, so some of these things, you know, and I'm, I'm also curious about Eastern religions, right? Not just, you know, Judeo-Christian or, or Abrahamic faiths, but I'm also curious to know, you know, in Eastern religions, because, you know, there's a lot of folks who are Buddhists, Sikhs, right? And um, I'm, I'm curious to know, like, you know, what is the role that religion plays? And I know these are grandiose questions, meta, if you will, um, but uh, I'm, I'm asking them and i know they've been tackled in different ways and really wrestled with in different ways and uh that's cool but i just wanted to and, and i don't know when i'm gonna put these shows out either but i those are something that i'm actively trying to pursue some folks and i'm not sure if it's a one-stop shop uh i don't know if we like do a series like we did with latinx latinx uh theology and faith influencers um yeah i don't know i don't know yet so um stay tuned and and i welcome your thoughts as well again Hit me up and say, yo, brother Hodge, you know, what, you, what, you know, this is what I think, um, you know, let's, you know, we, we maybe we want to put this together. Maybe you want to put that show out there. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know, but let me know. Let me know what you think. Um, and uh, I just wanted to kind of give you the heads up and, and really, honestly, just get it out of my mind uh, and into the universe, so to speak, and uh, get, just get it out there and, you know, begin to think through how that looks. And particularly with the, you know, God being, you know, conservative, um, you know, I really wanted to explore what are, because I think oftentimes in the media, it's very easy to get caught up in you know gop especially the political gop um well the good old party well the political the politics of conservatism excuse me rather let me say that um oftentimes is 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 you know shown as you know assholes <laughs> you know quite frankly um and i know that is not the sum total of conservatism and i'm curious to know what that means i'm also curious of folks you know who are center who say that i'm a center you know right um, I lean more right and what you know and what that means. And when we talk about traditional, what does that word even mean? Right? How do we define that in the context of where we find ourselves in 2021? Um, so those those are just some some areas that uh, that I that I am curious on. Something that I'm pondering. Something that I'm you know just trying to read up on myself. You got some recommendations, of course. Always hit your boy up. In fact, the majority of books that I read are are, are you know recommendations from other people. It's like, hey, I read this. Check it out. So uh, and let me know what you are reading as well. If you're listening to this in real time, um, we're headed into summer. Uh, this you know we got the. 
bookend uh, holidays, Memorial Day and Labor Day. Memorial Day, of course, signifies the beginning of the summer season. Labor Day signifies the ending of it into fall. Um, so I'm curious, you know, what are y'all up to this uh, this summer? If not, you can still send me, you know, what you think. If you're listening to this, like in the dead of winter, in the year of 2025, um, when we're on the front lines of, of war, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, mercy. Well, folks, this week, I want to get right to my guest, um, special good friend of mine, Don Finch. A lot of you might not know who Don Finch is, and I know I can be really critical about people who work in like, quote unquote, ministry settings and faith and church environment and settings. But I really want to highlight the folks who are doing the good work. And Don is that person. Don, um, she is somebody that I man, I've known her now for 20 plus years. Uh, we were both in Young Life together. Um, and, uh, you know, I got out, then she got out. Both of us left, you know, and really, <laughs> Oh, mercy. Duh. Rough ways, shall we say. And, um, you know, that later turned into, um, for her at least, it turned into, you know, just more great work. Like she continued, like a lot of folks, including myself, right? Like I stuck around youth work and youth ministry for a little bit. Uh, but, you know, I'm really an educator now, right? Like I'm, I'm not a church pastor anywhere and i mentor a few cats but it's you know it's not like what dawn is doing dawn is in the mix she's still in the mix even though right young life was like no we done with you she is still there she's on the west coast and she's been doing this shit for a long damn time and i think that's really powerful if i could say that because there's something to be said about one, feeling a certain calling upon your life and then dedicating your entire life. Her and her husband, Lee Finch, uh, you know, have, you know, just committed themselves, you know, to that. And uh, Lee was in education. He, you know, he retired. I think it was out at Santa Monica Community College. Um, and Don has just been in L.A. Uh, for years, just doing all kind of stuff, man. And, uh, you know, with kids and and she continues to do that. And I and again, I just wanted to highlight that. I just think that's important because. Because young people, you know, and because here's the thing, the thing that I will say about Don is that the folks that are connected to her, the folks that are still connected to her um, are like diehard connected to her, like folks damn near my age um, are like, man, Don has just always been there. She's just been a figure. She's been a, a mentor. She's been a support. Uh, and, you know, there's something to be said about that. And this day, again, in this day and age where just all kind of crazy shit can be happening um, in a youth ministry setting. And what I love, though, is that she's independent. You know, that's key. That's key. She's not connected to any church. She's not connected to any goddamn denomination. She is, you know, independent. And so she can do a lot of these things, right? Uh, but then she's also in the mix for raising money, which is, whoo, the scourge. <laughs> right? I cannot stand raising money. Um, so I'm excited to bring her to the show. I hope you enjoy this conversation and just, yeah, check her out. Check out some of the work that she's doing, um, you know, and what she's engaged with. Um yeah, she's an amazing woman and a great friend, and I finally got a chance to get her on the show. So enjoy this conversation. Let me know what you think at whyhodgepodcast.com. Hit a brother back, and we'll catch you next week. Check this conversation out. Cool. Great. Well, the amazing and infamous Don Finch, welcome to uh, Profane Faith. <laughs> Glad to be here, Dan. 
I have uh, been wanting to get you on for a while. I appreciate you reaching back and saying yes, you had some time in your schedule. Um, I I really do want to get into the stuff that you've been doing for easily your lifetime. <laughs> but I'd like to know what's what, what's been happening. It's the first question I ask everybody on the show. What's been happening from birth to now for the great Don? <laughs> well, um, born in south suburb of Chicago. Okay. Um, blue- blue-collar family. My dad never graduated from high school. You probably don't know this stuff about me. No, And uh, <laughs> he worked as a switchman on the railroad, in the railroad yards of Chicago. And so um, he was able to buy a little tract home. So I grew up in uh, South Holland, Illinois. Okay. Until I was, tw- until I was 24. Um, the first kid to a uh, grandkid uh, of anyone in my family to get a college degree. And when I was getting my master's degree, all they thought was, why is it taking her so long? I <laughs> 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 didn't know what it was. Right. <laughs> so um, anyway, so I uh, was teaching high school for a bit. I got, I got a master's in um, science education. All and right. then um, later, I got I got one from Fuller Seminary as well in theology. Okay, but um, so biology and theology. There you go. But anyway, anyway, I started teaching high school out in Chicago, and then I uh, realized I I didn't want to teach them about amoebas. Um, and I had been volunteer leader with uh, Young Life mm-hmm. while I was back there, and I had no church upbringing at all. So I, I was a blank slate. So um, I went to Young Life. I responded to their message. Uh, I prayed, and uh, some people started recruiting me for Young Life in California. Now, if you grow up in the Midwest, you just think California is crazy, right? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so my family was like, you're moving where? Uh, Los Angeles? <laughs> like, oh, no. <laughs> but I did it in 78. Okay. So I've been out in L.A. since 1978. Um, when I came out here, I started uh, working with Young Life. I worked full-time for Young Life for 31 years, and then they just fired me. And uh, the reason was I was negative, is what I was told. <laughs> I wasn't negative, but I was bringing in a lot of brown and black uh kids and leaders into Young Life in Los Angeles, because that's what Los Angeles is. And it doesn't, I was getting people to do it for free, and that wasn't sending much money up the chain, you know, because uh, local areas had to pay to national. And so I I happened to have a supervisor that was a good old boy from North Carolina, and next thing I knew, I was, I was just gone. And that was painful. Although I had, I wasn't totally... I wasn't really on board with everything that uh, Young Life was doing. I think I was more, I'm hoping it was more progressive. And I was starting to learn more about minority communities and the challenges they face. Mm -hmm. One of the things I was supposed to do is, you know, you're supposed to raise money from the community you serve. And I remember asking the president, one of the presidents of Young Life, I said, what happens when you serve a a poor community that asks you for money (laughs) to help them pay the rent? Yeah. And they just stared at me like they, they didn't really have an answer. So the system was against, I mean, it's not, I'm not saying Young Life doesn't care about urban ministry, but they don't care to change the system to make it 
urban ministry possible because the community cannot financially support you. They can support you in a lot of other ways, but not financially hmm. in, in a poor community. So um, anyway, so I thought, well, what am I going to do? And uh, you know, I was 55 at the time. Like I said, I've been there 31 years. And um, I thought, what am I going to do? I didn't think I was done. Well, the interesting thing is all the volunteers and staff of color stayed with me. All the white people stayed with Young Life. And I was <laughs> like, guys, you can stay with me. But I don't know what I'm doing, you know. <laughs> I have no idea what's, what's going to be next. Well, then I called a guy who um, had been years ahead of most youth ministries. He had a teen mom camp before anyone ever thought of doing that. He had, he was doing a lot of ministry to Latino kids in another part of LA. And I called him and I said, you know, how did you do that? And knowing I'd never want to fill out all that paperwork, right? <laughs> right. Well, I, I called him just because I was just feeling, you know, what am I supposed to do next? I don't think I'm done. And uh, anyway, he goes, oh, you want my nonprofit? It's called Youth First. <laughs> and then I started laughing because I think God is hilarious. Because <laughs> I was like, what? He said, I'm going to give you my nonprofit. There's 5000 in the bank to get you going, and there you go. So a month later, I had my own 501c3, and yeah. I was off. And all the people that stayed with me said, see, we told you. <laughs> so we didn't miss a beat. Um, and I didn't have to send any money anywhere else. Uh, so it was cheaper to operate. And then that was 11 years ago that um, you first started. Wow. And Youth First uh, serves kids from South Central LA, and I have listened to uh, some of your podcasts. And when people say, oh, "I lived in Redondo Beach," that's not LA. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Come on, Dan. You, you know what LA is. People say they live in LA, but they live all around LA. And I freely admit, I live in the west part of. I'm gonna live near La Cienega in the Ten. So um, that's right. But all the kids. Yeah, so it's not like I'm in the hood or anything. But uh, but all our kids live in South Central or Inglewood. And we um, primarily have African-American kids in our outreach, and then we have Latinas in our teen mom. Okay. So um, we work with about probably about 200 teenagers, anywhere from uh, 15 to 22 are most of the uh, kids impacted by our ministry that, you know, and that come around and never leave. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's what's interesting about, uh, that's what always gets me. I mean, I've known you now for, oh my gosh, what, 25 years or something of, of, of that? Yeah. yeah. I remember you in a, in a, and a little tiny cowboy hat, but I promise I won't post it. <laughs> yeah, I know. None of those pictures. I That was before all of the, in fact, the group from that, uh, for those of you listening, we used to do with Young Life, we used to do assignments and, you know, you'd be with somebody for a month. I mean, so whether you loved them, liked them or not, you were, you know, you were up there. And this was before Instagram, Facebook, uh, my cell phone didn't even work up there. Um, so none of those, it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe. So, well, let me ask you this, Don, what, why youth, why young people and why so long? Hmm. I, I just realized when you said you've been doing this a long time, Dan, it's going to be, I started right out of high school. Mm -hmm. It's going to be my fifth, my 50th year this year. 
Well, I'm not. Wow. I'm not surprised, though. See, this is why I wanted to talk with you. Wow. And, you know, if I thought, um, you know, I'm not like the coolest leader anymore to kids when we meet with high school or young college-age kids. Um, but all my leaders are African-American, except one. And so they make me cool. Otherwise, it probably wouldn't work. <laughs> so they're like, oh, he thinks she's cool? Okay, she's cool. <laughs> and you know what? In youth ministry, to have a person who's older, when kids are in serious trouble, they call you. Right. Because they, right. they just know you have more resources and experience and, and wisdom about stuff like that. Um, so there's still there's a need for people who are older that can hang with kids. And I don't know why still youth it just that's where i'm happiest you know we had um a bible study the other day with some of our mentors there are about 15 of us in the room and and one of the mentors was leading in i didn't even need to be there really and that made me really happy like i was like i love being around i i like i i like certain aspects of uh black culture if i could say it that clearly like there's some things about it that are i've learned over the years i really enjoy um yeah I enjoy the uh, how relational black people are, if I can say that as a stereotype. Um, you know, white people think they're relational. We're really not. We're efficient. Like, we're like, okay, I'm going to meet with this person. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. And I've learned to chill and just enjoy being with other people <laughs> just from being, around, uh, from being around the culture for 30-some years, you know? Um, so... It just feels like a calling when you said why youth. It just feels like a calling when I'm there. I feel like there's some part of a giftedness that I have that comes out and a fulfillment that I feel. So. I like that. I mean, so one of the things that I've admired about you is that you've stuck in it. I've known a lot of people who, in particularly in youth ministry, right, um, they did it just so that they could get to the senior pastor position or if they can get, you know, it was a stepping stone to the next level. I remember even when I first started at um, North Park, you know, I started there, um, at, you know, as the director for Center for Youth Ministry Studies. And I remember, you know, in, in all my meet and greets, you know, talking with several senior pastors that just told me flat out, like, yeah, I started in youth ministry, but, you know, who takes that seriously? I was really trying to be, you know, the senior pastor or something. And, and, and so, but... You know, and we all know that's, you know, like bullshit. But it, at the end of the day, I've I, I found it so unique that you have you have hung in there and leaders love you. <laughs> Seriously, I've known people who have been with you and in and, and engaged with you for years. And you know them now as adults. They're grown ass people. Well, yeah, I, they are. And that's what I realized leaving that Bible study. They're grown ups. We were having a better discussion on a piece of scripture than I would have you would have had with adults because I mean I was just blown away by the insight and uh, yeah they were I started most of them with they're 19 and they're all like get to be 30 <laughs> and and the hardest part was um, <laughs> working with people that feel powerless in a lot of ways trying yeah. to convince them you have the power you have a power in you to be a role model and mentor to someone younger in your community when they didn't even feel like, you know, they have power in their own lives, but they eventually they realize that's true. Yeah. You know? So, um, yeah. a lot of people look up to them. A lot of the younger people look up to them and they're role models and they offer hope and, and, uh, yeah. So 
Yeah, I've been working with them a long time, so I've watched them grow up. Now my next phase is how do I get out of the way more, which isn't easy for me because, you know, I like to be in the mix. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think that's important, too. I mean, you said it. I mean, I think there's something about having an older person who's been around for a long damn time. So let me ask you this. What have been, if you look back over your illustrious career, I mean, what are some of the challenges? I mean, in coming from, because you spanned a long time. I mean, you were around in the 90s, right? It's like, it's so right. funny that, that so much of the 90s nostalgia is like, you know, coming back and stuff. And I'm like, wait, that's that's my childhood. Like, wait, wait, wait a minute. Oh, I wasn't even a child at that point. I was in my 20s and stuff. So what are some of the challenges of that living in in you know the entertainment capital of the world i remember one time you said it and it's and it's and it rings true to this day la sets the cultural trends and then it filters through the rest of the country um what kids are doing in la yeah. tends to make its way through the rest of the country so what what are some of those challenges what are some of the things that you've picked up over these last 50 years about kids and just working <laughs> as a woman <laughs> well um i as a woman part i feel like um at least my experience has been it's fine to be a woman in um, African-American culture. It's, it's like it's not, no one blinks an eye, except maybe some black male pastors of, of conservative black churches. Everyone's cool with it. So that's been encouraging because I don't have that obstacle as much. Um, although I think I, if I were a guy, people would give me more money, but that's all right. Um, well, I mean, say something about that. <laughs> well, if I'm married, right? So people feel like, well, you know, she's married. She's taken care of. Um, so I don't feel like I get the donations a guy would get. And that's true in any female ministry. If they're married, they feel like, well, they don't really need the money. But the money isn't for me. The money is for my staff of color and for all the programs we run and all the food the kids eat and all the camps we take them to, you know, yeah. all the adventures. So... Um, that part is, I don't know what you do about that, but, um, but as far as in the community itself, in South Central, it's fine. I'm female. It doesn't matter. So there's a good and a bad in that, but yeah, women are never taken as seriously. If I was a guy, people would be like, wow, let's see what he's doing down there. But you know, and, and after one thing that changed after I wasn't in an organization where people are trying to climb up. When you're your own 501c3, I tend to keep my head down more and just try to do the best work I can. You know, that's, yeah. that's more important, really. So um, as far as the changes, I think it's funny. I, a New Yorker would argue with you that they set the trends, and I think they of course. do as well. But but L.A. Um, definitely does. So I would, I would, when I was in Young Life, I'd try to tell them, okay, this is what's happening now. And they'd be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd try to to tweak the music at the camps or something and they'd be like no and, I, and then sure enough five years later they'd all be doing it but um <laughs> but i i do feel privileged and that i do get to see what's happening in youth culture and the 90s were crazy man mm -hmm. dan i would kids would have me you know the gangster culture was so uh glorified in the music and everything and kids were had bought into that so they were all about that and the pictures from then make me laugh kind of but um, kids trying to look all hard. But um, now kids are all about playing and having fun and being goofy. So every like five years or so, I watch the teen culture change. And that's kind of fun. You know, it used to be kids would, would say, uh, 
uh, oh, drop me off at the park, and it's a bunch of say it's a bunch of crips in a park, and they're friends with them. Now kids say, Don, gangsters hanging out in that park. Drive, don't, don't, don't slow down here. Drive me to my house. Hmm. So um, I'm kind of happy for that, to be honest. That, of course, there's always gang life out here, but it's not cool. With your average black teenager, is not like wow, gangsters, gangsters are great. There's like no. So, um, so it's kind of in some ways. It's a it's kind of a dichotomy because you have things like George Floyd, and we're talking with kids about that, and then you have uh, kids just want to be rah rah and goofy and do TikTok videos and have fun. So I'm having fun. I don't know what the next change will be, but every five six years, I, I watch it change, and I just go with the flow. And maybe that's why I lasted so long. It's like I'm I'm flexible. I I if you're going to do cross culture ministry, you got to be teachable. So you got to go in and say. You know, I even ask kids sometimes, tell me about this. They're glad to teach you, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, anyway, I, I, I've kind of liked the last five years because it's been uh, mostly nonviolent, <laughs> okay. to be honest. Okay. You know, so um, that's kind of nice, a little breather there. Yeah. Um, what, what, but it, it's heating up. I, I, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Uh, it's 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 summertime though, so things will heat up again. And a few kids have told me that it is. So, but go ahead. No, well, I was just wondering about on that because I know. And, and I ask you primarily, you know, because, you you know, you've been at it and, and engaging with that for so long. And, you know, kids and youth. I mean, you hear about L.A. kids. And I remember I wasn't even living in Chicago and I remember I flew out here for something and I was meeting with uh, Phil Jackson and. You know, talking with some of his, you know, kids out here and, you know, everybody was just like, are you from L.A.? Oh, my gosh, man. Man, like you just had to like wear a bulletproof vest. I mean, so, you know, like that, that this is kind of, you know, stereotype that that is exists um, about that. What you know, what how have you engaged with like, you know, with that particularly as it pertains to gangs, youth, and um, engaging with that. You say you now it's kind of nonviolent. I'm, I'm curious to kind of unpack some of that a little bit more. Well, it's not like gangs aren't, you know, an everyday fact of life for kids that are growing up in South L.A. But, um, like, I have two big 21-year-olds that you think no one would mess with as part of our mentorship team. Mm-hmm. And they wear backpacks on Saturdays. Nothing's in the backpack, but I go, why are you wearing a backpack? Oh, it sends a signal that we're not gangsters and we're just ordinary ordinary people. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's interesting. You think no one would mess with these guys, but, you know, it doesn't matter how big you are if a bullet's involved. So um, they wear backpacks. Or I've got one guy that wears goofy socks, these goofy knee socks everywhere. And he goes, well, because i got to ride the, the train all the time. I don't want anyone thinking I'm, I'm from anywhere. So it's very interesting to me, the coping skills, like kids are in a war zone and they figured out how to declare their neutrality kind of, um, doesn't, doesn't always work, but, um, uh, I'm sorry. I I lost my train of thought on your question. Well, no, I was just saying like, you know, know, I'm getting old, man. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we all are. I, I, I hear you on that. Um, well, I mean, what has, in terms of, you know, the gang violence, I mean, what, how 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 have you navigated some of that over the over the last few decades? I mean, you know, because obviously during the nineties, yeah. um, you know, there there was that kind of 
I mean, there I, was a rise in, in, you know, in gangster culture at the same time, you know, there was this kind of sense of, you know, the golden era within hip hop. You still had Snoop and, and Dre and kind of that whole, you know, West Coast vibe and thing on, on the, on the commercial scene. Um, but you know, like obviously things are different now. In fact, I was telling somebody the other day, I said, it felt like there was a different vibe in LA from like at least the time of that, that I remember, like from the eighties to the nineties to the early two thousands. And you know, here we are in 2021 and obviously we've just all experienced a pandemic and still in it for some, you know, in some regard, how, you know, again, I'm just, just, you're just curious just how some of that youth culture, particularly with, you know, with gangs, how is that, how have you worked Um, with some of that? Well, we, we used to have, um, you know, gang members in our meetings and they would kind of, they would, the real ones don't advertise it, right? Sure. <laughs> they don't try to act like it. So they're just in there happy to have somewhere safe and fun. But we had like a bunch of, this was in the 90s, we had a bunch of Crips and that were coming, they all knew each other and then some bloods came and then uh, one night we went out to eat at Wendy's afterwards and uh, somebody called their uh, aunties and uncles and so we had just gotten the kids out of there we had a lot of kids then too they were mostly from uh fairfax high um anyway they uh we had just gotten sterling and i did, had just gotten all the kids out and all of a sudden all these older gang members show up so we dodged a bullet there so you know stuff like that would happen but um i don't know we always skate around the edge as far as safety mm-hmm and I noticed that gang members just seemed relieved to be there because it was fun, because they were safe, because you could act like a kid instead of being hard. I had one guy tell me that he actually said the, the muscles on my mouth felt different. And I realized I was smiling. I hadn't smiled in a long time. Mm. Wow. And so, the, you know, the need to be so hard all the time. And you're still a kid, you know? People act like, oh, there's some big adults. They're kids. Absolutely. So, uh, and I... And, you know, the gang thing goes up and down here, probably like everywhere. It depends who gets out of jail and thinks it's still their era, even though things have changed. And so they're acting like their old ways. Or, um, you know, it just ebbs and flows, but it hasn't. Chicago has been the place. Here has been relatively calm. But one of my mentors just said, uh, he lives by Imperial Gardens, and he said, man, things are getting hard again. I'm not going out. That's one thing about kids in L.A. They hardly go outside, Dan. Hmm. And, you know, when we drive kids home, L.A., you lived here, so you know, it's it's an anti-community community. Because right. you go to school somewhere, maybe half-hour drive from your house, but then uh, but then you live over here. So I'll be taking kids to their house, and I'll say, uh, so do you go to this restaurant? Oh, no. Well, it's right by your house. Yeah, I don't go there. Okay, do you know people who live here? No, I don't know anyone in my neighborhood. <laughs> and they kind of don't. Right. They kind of don't. Right. It's a, so they're inside most of the time when they're home and they're outside when they're at school and their school could be in their neighborhood or it could be, you know, far away. Um, and so it's a very uh, fragmented way to live and a very anti-community way to live. So one reason I think our deal has been attractive, although after COVID, I have no idea what we're going to have. But um, I think why our, our youth first has been uh, attractive to kids is they all tell me it's a second family. It's like family meat, because that's what people in L.A. crave, is relationships, family, being known. And I think that's probably true of any large city, but L.A. is so sprawling. But South L.A. is one of the biggest parts. But, you know, no, you don't drive in there unless you know someone. You drive over it on a freeway. 
Right. And it has the most kids. I'm sure it has. I mean, I haven't looked up the stats lately, but I'm sure it has the most, the youngest demographic um, as far as kids, how many kids live there. But because of, well, you know the history even better than me about the redlining and, and how the freeways are built and everything, it's very isolated. And South L.A. has hardly any, you know, it's a food desert. Yeah. It has no movie theaters. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. It doesn't have anything. So, yeah, they have to. If you want to go anywhere out of South LA, you gotta. If you're a young black man, you don't go because you don't want to go on the train. You don't want to go on the bus. You know you're going to get hassled. So right. um, a lot of kids feel kind of trapped there. So school is kind of their only time when they're out and about, which is sad. So yeah. to have a program where kids can come and it's safe is like a big deal um, for kids in South LA. I mean, there's other programs as well, of course, but there's not a lot. Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, and that you know, I appreciate you sharing that. I mean, because yeah, you're right. A lot of people just don't realize just some of the geographic structures. I mean, even here in, in Chicago, right? It's like you know, I always tell folks, it's like you know, we got like what you know, one highway. <laughs> you know, that's it. I mean, it's like we got the ninety ninety four, and then those combine into one, and it's always clogged and jammed. And it's like so you know, even to go right. five to go five miles in Chicago you might as well be driving 60 miles because it's going to take you about that long, um, you know, to get there. I mean, I always tell people it's, you know, it's seven miles from the front of my office to the back of my garage. And, you know, it can take me up to an hour. I've, I've been stuck in traffic an hour and 20 sometimes. I mean, it's just, it's insane. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. But again, you know, you Every know, part, yeah, right. Well, and that's, it's, I always <laughs> found though freeway traffic to be a little bit, easier than city traffic because i don't have to worry about people dodging in and out of the you know some right. some corner bikers pedestrians and <laughs> all that stuff yeah. let, well let me ask you this though about you know just dealing with kids and and dealing with some of the what have been some of the challenges and what have been some of the the things you know in regards we've talked a little bit about race but you know how has that affected this being a white woman in a majority you know like you said you know multi-ethnic environment how has that come over how have you you nuance some of those things and particularly since the 2016 election well um you know i try to use my whiteness for good dan i hear you <laughs> so, i hear you so if the cops stop a mentor they'll always call me i'm in my car on police are here I, I hurry over there try to defuse the situation and most of the few situations with cops like cops come over a meeting because some neighbors call the police they think we're being we use a a church, uh, one of our things, and uh, I always go out first. So, um, but as far, I gotta say, I feel very embraced by the black community. It's It's been only a delight to me. I feel privileged. So, um, you know, that that's, as far as that, the kids are like, we don't care what color you are, you like us, it's fine. Kids are more like that, you know? Um, as far as like, Race stuff, you know, one of the things I, I tried to use my whiteness for good, as I said, was um, I brought four boys that were uh, high school sophomores to uh, an adult Sunday school class at Hollywood Presbyterian. And I said, first, and they wanted to know about youth first, so I said, share about youth first. Kids are talking about camps we take them to and this, what, what, what all the stuff we're doing. And, they're, and it, you know, they won them over because these were a nice kid, okay? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then I said, and now tell them what it's like to grow up where you are. And they go, oh, Don, we don't want to do that. I go, they need to learn. <laughs> and so these kids that everyone fell in love with are all of a sudden saying, yeah, I've had a gun held in my head twice uh, just to steal my earbuds. 
or um, yeah, someone started shooting at me when I was walking home. I ran all the way home, and they were like, "What? These nice little kids?" See, because they only know stereotypes from the media of what kids in South LA like. They're just kids that haven't been born in South LA. Yeah, they happen to be born black, and you got to first convince people these are kids. And so I felt like uh, when I can do something like that, I try to so that people can see these are kids and they're they're living with PTSD yeah. just because of where they live. Yeah. And um, so I try to be a, a bridge when it's possible that way. Um, but uh, 2016, well, you know, I forget which uh, which rappers did that song, F Donald Trump. Remember that? Oh, yeah. It's a slow beat. It's just, well, most of the time, we since we uh, some of our meetings take places in churches, I we try to keep the music um, uh, less sweary. And uh, that came on. <laughs> Just leave it on. Because kids are listening to it. And we actually, when Trump won, one of the leaders came out and said, guys, we're sorry. We know, you know, life can suck sometimes, but it's going to suck more now. But we're here if you need us. It's like, <sighs> we just knew, you know, what was coming and how it would get worse, particularly for communities of color under Trump. Um, but, you know, kids at that age are, I don't know, I was kind of woke at that age about politics, and a few of our kids were, but most of them are just like, okay, you know, what can we do to have fun next? Like, they didn't really quite catch how horrible it was. Um, later on, they started to more, uh, but it, for us, it just uh, did our resolve on we have to do, this is even more important than ever as a team to keep doing what we're doing, but... Um, yeah, I would say the majority of high school kids are just like, oh, Trump's an idiot, and where are the girls? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So we try to we try to teach about it some, but, um, you know, I don't know. I don't really know how to answer that other than that. It, it was a horrible, horrible four years, and it would have got worse if he'd been reelected. And, and uh, you know, the leaders tell me, I said, I can't believe, as a white person, I can't believe there's that many jerks in this country who would vote for him. And they go, oh, God, we always knew. <laughs> right, like, right. okay, well, well I, I just learned. <laughs> so, um, and I do learn. I'll be around white people that we bump into when I'm with my leaders or kids, and they'll say the most ignorant things, and I'm cringing inside, and I'm trying to change the subject. And I, so I am in touch with, wow, people are pretty ignorant. Um, yeah. These kids are stronger are stronger than any of them, you know, to survive and even thrive. I give them all sorts of props because it's not easy. Well, let me ask you this, because this this question has come up a lot when I've talked to anybody who does, you know, youth work and it's been involved particularly with, with you know, with Young Life. Um, how how does race then affect funding? Um, especially, I mean, I have a good friend of mine, uh, who you probably know. And, um, you know, he's like, I, I couldn't, I couldn't stay in the organization I was at because, you know, the, the assumption was that if I'm a Christian and, you know, he considers himself evangelical or defines himself as, as evangelical. And, you know, he was like, the assumption is, is that I, you know, voted for Trump. He was just like, you know, and, and I, I just couldn't, I couldn't deal with that anymore just because the amount of racism, because it's, I feel like it's just out now. It's, it's not even, you know, hidden anymore, which in one regard, it's like, okay, 
great, but in another regard, it just keeps, you know, ramping up. So how has that affected funding uh, for you uh, and, and your organization and also just topics, uh, you know, in meetings that you meet with, Bible studies, just in day-to-day actions with kids? Yeah. Well, we did have a kind of a voting drive. Okay. Kids, if they didn't, if they didn't, if your vote wasn't important, they wouldn't be trying to take it away from you or discourage you. And so a lot of kids voted for the first time. Um, and, and even some of the mentors said, I, I didn't vote before. You better vote now. They're like, yeah, we, let's get the kids. So we, we, uh, did some of that. Hmm. Um, so yeah, as far as funding, um, it's an interesting, I, I got to say, I have been able to pay my staff through the whole pandemic. Uh, we've been able to take kids to a week of camp. We just make our own camps from different places. Um, every year since I started you first. So we never have like, we're never rolling in the bucks, but we've always had enough. And part of it, Dan, you, uh, you, you follow me on Facebook. So I, I don't care about the political thing. You know, in the past, you had to be kind of covert if you were voting for Obama back in the day. <laughs> but um, I just put it out there. And I, I think people, you know, there are some people that would disagree with me politically that give money that probably don't know what a lefty I am. <laughs> but I don't I don't care anymore. Like, I just put it out there. If you like me, if you like what I'm doing, then then give some money. Um. And most people, here's a, here's a positive thing. There are good-hearted white people that have no idea how to connect with kids in South LA. They're not okay. gonna drive over there. They wanna help, they don't know how. Um, I can be a bridge, say, oh, you wanna help? I, like I just got six laptops from a group. Say, so, do your kids want some laptops? They were like excited to somehow make life a little better, right? I mean, it's not gonna solve all the systemic problems. But for six kids, it's going to be a lot better that they got a laptop now. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, um, so I feel like there are people that want to help, and if they trust you, then it, I, I have an advantage being white for sure and getting money because um, I can connect my mentors with white people with money. Not not a lot. I'm a bad fundraiser, Dan. I never was a good fundraiser, but I'm getting more <laughs> money for this. <laughs> uh, and the and like I said, the old model was oh you, you know the community serve will will uh, contribute to this effort. Well, no, they won't. They can't. Right. right. So you gotta you gotta go outside, and you gotta uh, you gotta find people that have open hearts to it. And their motives might not all be what you want. They may be patronizing. They may be this or that. I'll take your money. I don't care because I know how to use it. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, but is it harder? Yeah, it is. But I have the advantage of I already had a platform. So I sent a letter to all my donors saying, look, I'm doing something new. And some of them didn't stay with me, but some of them did. Because fundraising, just like ministry, is relational in the in end run. So um, it's pretty, I got to give God the credit because I don't know how it's happening. I don't go out and and try to get it like i had some guy all right last week this guy said uh i'm sending you 2500 i said oh you are cool i didn't ask him for money he just wanted to and then i had a woman say to me um my parents sold their condo in hawaii they started a um 
foundation, so I'm sending in 2500 So I tell the leaders this, I go, look, I didn't ask for $5,000 this week, but people stepped up. So God has to be part of that. I can't claim credit like, wow, I'm this awesome fundraiser. I'm not. But, and I, I do wish sometimes, you know, if we had more money, I would do more things, but we've always had enough. Hmm. And then maybe that sounds like Pollyanna-ish, but that's been my experience. No, I, God shows up. But here's what I learned. Yeah. God cares about those kids. And that's why I told him I got $5,000. And I said, you know why? Because God cares about you guys. That's the only conclusion I can come up with is God cares deeply about these kids growing up in South L.A. And I said, you might not, everyone in the world might tell you you're not important, but to God, you're important. And I got to say that like 100,000 times before people believe it, but I believe it. Yeah, no, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, so let me, this brings up a good question then. How have you navigated your own theological thoughts? I mean, you know, we live in an era where, you know, we have access to, you know, terabytes, thousands of terabytes worth of information on the daily, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, you know, and as you know, <laughs> as I'm sure you know, uh, facts have become relative, right? It's like there's been a sense of, right. you know, hey, you know, I read a meme the other day that said, you know, you're allowed to have your own opinion, but not your own facts. You know, <laughs> you know and so we, right, and, right. and I've said this plenty on the show, it's like we've lost this baseline for what we can agree to is truth, right? I mean, now you even got flat earthers that are saying, oh, but the, no, no, the earth is flat and, and that's it. And because of this, <laughs> I put a pencil on the street and it didn't roll, so we're, it's flat. And so we're we're reaching that point. So how have you personally navigated your own theological insights? And, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't. How do you, you know, nuance five percenters, Nation of Islam, which, you know, stereotypically has, has been, you know, present in a lot of black communities within Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah, they wouldn't sell me a, a cookie at the Dorsey football game, Dan. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> I was the only one they wouldn't, they would not, I was the only person they wouldn't sell cookie to. I really wanted a cookie, and I was like, okay, I see how it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, as far as my own theological journey, I just, uh, Wow, I just feel like I change all the time. I mean, I'm constantly evolving. Um, facts are facts. I believe that in this horrible four years and still now, the insurrection was a tourist tour, you know, a tourist group, please. So that gaslighting makes me very angry. And I feel like we came through, we're in the middle of fighting actually against evil, blatant evil, not covert evil, um, with Trump and his cronies. Um, but, uh, so I feel like, hmm, I don't know, you know, I, I, I'm reading, I read Cast, I have a book club where I read, I read Cast, now we're reading Jesus and John Wayne, and so. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think, so I, I try to keep up on that. I also feel like I'm in a, I'm in education every day, just being around these kids and mentors and when and being in South LA or Inglewood, I feel like every day I'm in a learning laboratory. I'm always learning. And I feel like that's maybe one of the reasons I do this because I'm teachable. I never feel like I know everything. Um, I, I, I still, I'm still evangelical in the, I'm sorry. I'm still evangelical in, uh, in the true sense of the word, but not, I don't call myself that anymore. Okay. Because it's been it's been co-opted by some bad people. So, um, 
I don't know. You know, I, I was working on my MDiv, but then I, I'm a practitioner. I love theology. And I got to say, the incarnational um, theology that you and I learned back in the day, it's gold. You know? Yeah. It's gold to be in the midst of people. Um, and and relationships are key. All that stuff I still hang on to. But um, I can tweak it to fit uh, whoever I'm with. You know, um, I can tweak home on you. I can tweak you. Still got me? Yeah. I can tweak. I can tweak it. Tweak it to the group I'm with, and I I grow more and more progressive. Um, just because I think Jesus is Jesus is progressive. He'd be thrown out of half the churches in the United States if he walked in. Um, so I feel like we're in a, a battle for that right now. Like. Christianity is not uh, what people are seeing. I feel like it's something else hmm. that's not seen that often. It's real, but it's it's not it's not what American Christianity is sadly lacking in a lot of things. So um, in a lot of and a lot of what the Bible is really about. I have a neighbor. It's a black guy married to a white woman next door to me. He's the only black guy in the neighborhood on my block. Um, in the apartments, there's a lot of black people, but in the houses. Anyway, he said, you know, I'll never be a Christian. I know you, you run this Christian group, but I'll never be a Christian because of those pictures of black people being lynched and white people holding Bibles. And, you know, I, I said, I, I get that. But just because there's the fake thing doesn't mean there's not the real thing. Okay. You know? So, so um, anyway, I don't know. I just keep learning. I'm a lifelong learner. That's what I guess I would say. And... And, and I don't hold on to the facts if they don't meet re- reality, you know? If they're not meeting what I see in front of my face, then they're not a fact. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, they, we might have thought it was a fact, but it's not. <laughs> well, and I think it's interesting, I mean, because, you know, so much of youth ministry, right, has been, I don't know if you ever had a chance to or maybe you heard about it. There was a, a, a um, an organization, because the next question I want to ask you is just kind of like a conferencing and resources and whatnot. Um, but, you know, there was a, a group put together by, you know, Tony Jones and I'm forgetting the other cats who put it together, but it wasn't just him, but there was a whole other, it was called Progressive Youth Ministry. And particularly, you know, centering much more of the LGBTQ uh, community and, uh, you know, you know, POC, BIPOC, you know, folks and stuff. You know, have have you navigated even some of that? I mean, I'd be curious, you know, just, you know, with with that, because so often you specialties like I, I mean, I can't stand you specialties, but, you know, um, or anything really Zondervan puts out you know, for that matter. Um, and, uh, you know, and and so. But so often, right, youth ministry, you hear that word and that there comes an entire connotative discourse that people just begin to kind of just put the doors up. One, how have you navigated that as well? And and how have you like engaged with like those resources and stuff and what and whatnot? Maybe you've I know you've you know, you've probably developed, some, you know, some of your own and whatnot in, in, in terms of just being around so long. But because it seems like we hear from some of the same people over and over and over. Like I stopped going to UIWI. A while ago, and, uh, and you know, yeah, me and, too. <laughs> you know, what I'm saying, and, and it just felt always just felt like we're hearing some of the same things over and over and over again. And, and I don't want to be your quote unquote liberal friend that comes and gives one workshop, pisses off, you know, half the crowd, and then the other half is kind of like, whoa. And there's a small percentage like, well, I'm really feeling you. I'm just like, man, I ain't got time for that. 
Um, yeah. And so I don't know. I mean, I, I, that's a big conglomeration of, of stuff. But I, I really would like to hear your insight because you've been around the block enough and you've seen the creation of UIWI and you've seen the, you know, development of places like CCDA and, and whatnot. And, you know, you specialties for better or for worse is is hung in there um, <laughs> with that. But it's still very white, very suburban and very standard oh, yeah. church based youth yeah. ministry. Well, I, I do feel fortunate in that um, I've I've gotten to go to all those things in my youth, <laughs> and um, you know, when CCDA was in LA, we all went to that conference. Um, I I don't know. Um, I I'm open if you can tell me some other good resources because I find most of them lacking, to be honest. Um, yeah. As far as like we, I used to go to Urban Youth Workers, and it's like, oh, say, so you hype everyone up. And I don't know, it just left me flat. But I brought my 21 year olds thinking, well, 19 to 21 year olds thinking, well, this is the age you like this. And they liked it, okay. And then the next year they go, we don't want to go back. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm not making you. I was only going because I thought you would like it. They're like, it is okay. But um, so I, I, and not to diss them, I, they serve a purpose, but um, it's so much deeper. There's so many levels on this. People have material needs, not just spiritual needs. You know, people have, so no, I haven't found a resource. I have a lot of resources of my own. I have a lot of years experience. I'd love to interact with like-minded people. Um, I find too often, like when I go to things like that, it's a bunch of, no offense to you, academics trying to make a name for themselves. Sure. And yeah. I'll be the only, I'll be the only practitioner. I told you I went to one meeting and, and, uh, I was sitting there and, uh, Ray Bakke was at that one. Mm-hmm. And everybody was bragging about their credentials. And it kind of made me, it kind of, not Ray, he's a cool guy, but um, it it turned my stomach. I was yeah. turned off to it because I'm like, okay, you're out here trying to make a name for yourself and you're speaking that stuff and you're talking about youth ministry. Do you know any kids? Right. <laughs> I mean, that's what I felt like saying. And we need people in academia to, to teach people the truth. Don't get me wrong, but it just, I don't have... I get lonely sometimes because I'm just doing this little nonprofit in gigantic LA, which no matter how great your work is, you're only making a small dent because there's so many stinking people out here. But, um, I, I, I would like to connect. So that Jones guy, whoever else you got, I'd love to find some new resources. Um, I've got piles of stuff. I'm trying to put my stuff in files now because it's all over written on placemats and napkins and uh, I've got one of my one of my leaders helping me get it organized. So I feel fortunate that I've had a wealth of experience to draw from. But I, it's kind of lonely still because yeah. I don't feel like I I I fit in anywhere because right. everybody's just speaking to make not everybody but so many people seem like they're speaking to make a name for themselves or to get famous in youth ministry. And that can be the kiss of death because that if it takes you real far away from it and you no longer know any kids, how do you stay current? I don't know. Um, and yeah, when I hear the words youth ministry, I think of a white dude with a uh, backwards baseball cap up there talking very <laughs> sincerely. And right. I, it turns my stomach. Right. I, if, I, if I see any of that online, I right away turn off because I feel I have a visceral reaction to it. It makes me feel sick. <laughs> but, um, and that, that might be my bad on my part, but uh, I'd yeah. love to connect so maybe uh when this is done you can connect me with some good folks yeah i feel like i feel like i tried to stay connected with all these groups but it doesn't fit right well and i think that's the part of the problem though right it's like 
It, it, and I think that's even what Progressive or PYM, you know, was trying to deal with as well and trying to figure out because, you know, for a while they were meeting here in Chicago, which was cool for me because I can just, you know, drive up or whatever. But then they moved it out to this kind of country bumpkin place. And I was like, man, I ain't driving out there. It's kind of like this other festival called the Wild Goose Festival. I'm not sure you're familiar with that group. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. Uh Yeah. And they're in the literally in the middle of the country. And I'm just like, I don't I, you know, I drove out there once (laughs) and I'm just like, I don't feel safe here, especially not in 2016, post 2016, you know, Trump's America. I'm just like, I don't. I don't I don't want to be in, in and around those areas and stuff. And I get that some folks want to go to the retreat and everything. I'm just like, yeah, nah, nah, nah. Um, <laughs> no, I don't blame you, Dan. It's, it's not safe. <laughs> right. So and, <laughs> and the town kind of puts up with everybody because obviously they bring in a lot of money uh, to this little small uh-huh. rural community. But I think, you know, I think that's part of the problem is, is trying to figure out resources that one work. And you and you're right. I'll be the first one as an academic to say there are plenty of people who I mean, I remember I was at, when I was at Azusa Pacific University. I mean, there was people who were, quote unquote, the urban experts only because they put out an article and they did some research and they wrote right. a book. And I'm like, wait a minute. Wait, mm-hmm. wait, 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 wait. Stop. Hold the press. Y'all. Y'all are experts. <laughs> right. Because y'all wrote something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where's, where's the connection? Where is like, how do you really know all the nuances? So. So with that, I mean. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'd be so interested just to hear, well, what, what are you seeing now? Like, you know, a lot of people are looking at like, oh, social media, you know, it's, it's the devil and you know, it's like this, how, and just, again, you say you're a learner, you, you're flexible and stuff, you know, how does that stuff affect kids? Um, you know, I teach a whole class now on social media, friends and family. And you know, this, this comes up a lot. Oh. Um, in regards to, you know, screen time, how have you new, nuanced that and, and negotiated that, especially coming from, I mean, I still remember doing shit in the 90s, right? It's like where you were, it, it, it'd be it'd be interesting just to see a, a kid with a Nokia phone, right? <laughs> Let alone <laughs> a whole computer in their hand that they could, you know, all these TikTok videos and stuff. I, I'm, how do you, how do you, you know, how do you deal with that? Well, it, it's huge. I don't think we know yet what effect this has on kids. Um, there are kids, we'll be doing something outrageous. The kids are are laughing and screaming and running around, and there'll be two or three kids down looking at their phone. Mm. Like, they can't live in, in the present. They're, you know, they can't live with people around them. And that's, to me, those are the kids I worry about. Like, seriously? Like, right now, you've got to look at your phone. So I feel like some kids are addicted. We took kids to Catalina. Well, we couldn't go last summer because of COVID. The summer before, and there, the uh, the place we used um, to hold our camp didn't have cell service. And all the kids told me afterwards, "I'm so glad I didn't have to know the drama of stuff going on at home or with my friends. I just got to be here, talk to the friends that were here." I, I was shocked. It was a very mature response from high school kids that said that. There were two guys that tried to sit by the office of the camp we were using and uh, kept trying to get on. They must have some internet in there and they kept trying to get on. They couldn't, they didn't hang out with anyone. They didn't play around. So um, I feel like it, the studies that'll come from this group, I'm glad my kids are already grown and they didn't have to, you know, the self-esteem thing, like all my, all the kids I know, high school kids, every single thing is a selfie with sparkles on it. Of, of girls licking their lips, of 
guys looking stylish. And it, I kind of get, one, one time I wrote to one guy, I'm tired of looking at pictures of your abdomen. Take a picture of something else. <laughs> <laughs> well, that funny. guy that guy ended up being trans. I showed a few of the leaders. I go, well, here's Chris now. You know Chris two years ago. Here's Chris now. He's a woman now. <laughs> so that's, and, and we knew in club that he was gay. He never would come out in high school because that's hard to do, right? But uh, I told him once, I, I said, Chris, you know, because he got in a fight with somebody and they're calling each other gay. And we said, are you gay? And he said, no. And I said, well, if he were, it wouldn't change how I feel about you. I still care about you. All of a sudden, I was his best friend. He's hanging out with me his senior year. As far mm. as anytime we were anywhere, he was right next to me. And I was like, wow. Well, now I see pictures of him. It, it's a little shocking when you've known them for years as this little boy. And here's this beautiful woman. Um, so, you know, we know we know we have tons of gay kids in club all the time. What, I'm, what sort of is new for me, Dan, was uh, we got this one girl, and she was... Um, also, I realized she was flirting with another girl, but I knew she'd had a boyfriend. And I'm like, wait, she flirting with that girl? They're flirting with each other. And I, I asked the leaders, and they're like, oh, yeah, she's bi. So I'm seeing from girls more of that. Okay. Um, yeah. And I don't know. I don't know what to say as far as we don't have a policy or anything. It is what it is. They're kids. We still, our, our deal is we you know, accept you where you are, and they know that. So um, we don't have any kind of policy or rules. We just know that we always have some gay and increasingly girls who are bi at our stuff. Um, kids don't care. You know what? The kids their age, they don't care. Right, right. So it's not even a – it's not really an issue per se that way. Right. Um, so, so that's a part of my theology I'm constantly – evolving on and, and saying, what do I believe, you know? And, uh, but I find that everyone younger than me, is not even an issue. Yeah. Well, I mean, even listening to my daughter, I mean, she's, you know, now 14, she starts high school here in the fall and it's like, oh my God, on that end. But on yeah. the other end, it's like, you know, she's grown up right? She's a product of the social media generation, born in 06, kind of at the rise of YouTube and Twitter and all these things, right? I mean, she's grown up on this. And so right. the same thing with, you know, pronouns and engagement, you know, and she makes it a point to know what people's pronouns are, how they want to pronounce their name. Uh, she has a friend, you know, that's kind of huh. gone, you know, through, she was by. Uh, you know, for a bit, then she considered herself non-binary, and then they considered themselves non-binary, right? And but you know, Mahalia's just kept up with it, so it's just like, it's just like water and air, uh, and and yeah. and and I'm glad y'all don't have a policy. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why I've been trying to, I've done my best to discourage anyone from uh, getting involved in young life, but especially uh, you know, BIPOC and people of color to you know just get out and. Finally, Pablo left, thank God, and, and he got out. And so, um, I that, saw that, yeah. That's also a great episode, too, if you haven't listened to that, just his own experience um, in Young Life. But I do think that organizations like that, right, they've, they're they still talking about the same shit that we was talking about in 1995. And then I'm just like, dude. Yeah. <laughs> really? Well, you know, at camp, I, 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 at camp, this is back in the 90s, a girl came out at camp and, um, and, I forget. I said, I, what I noticed is all the kids were intrigued by her. They all wanted to talk to her about it all the time. Well, I came back from camp and said, so what are we doing with this at camp? Because, you know, it, it does get more complicated when you got, you're attracted to the sex that's running around naked in the cabin getting dressed and stuff, right? 
so um, I was like, what are we going to do? And, and they didn't have any policy. I said, well, I don't, I, I didn't ask for policy, actually. I asked for training. I said, can you train us? What, what do we do in these situations? I mean, I just ended up saying, well, <laughs> she's in the cabin. Who cares? Because <laughs> it didn't really matter in the end. But, um, you know, I, I got no, there was no training. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one of my leaders came out after years. Um, I don't remember JoJo, Filipino gal. She was with me for years, her and Candace. I probably do. I, um, I'd have to see pictures. I'm so, uh, yeah, but I, she, at, the name sounds familiar. At Woodley, she was with us that summer, I think, in, in summer staff, but okay. um, at the camp. But yeah, so, and she was one of the best leaders I've ever had. So that, when you know someone, it changes your thinking, right? Mm-hmm. You know, just like, and so I am evolving. I just read Jack Rogers' book, Homosexuality in the Church, I think it's called, from Fuller. You remember Jack Rogers? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, so I just went through that book. And, um, you know, it is the issue of our time. But to me, uh, yeah, I, I just say they're gay. Okay. I mean, I, uh, there's not, what am I going to do about it? That's just the kid. So... I, I at our at our things. If you're gay, it doesn't matter. That's all I'll say. At our yeah. gatherings, if you're a gay kid, you're welcome the same as any kid. Yeah. Um, well, and as it should be, right? I mean, I think that's yeah, that's that's the thing. I mean, it, yeah, I, that's one of the reasons why I don't I don't you know I don't stay connected to any any church. It's just too many goddamn rules and. And most of them are all bullshit to begin with. So I'm just like, nah, I ain't got, I ain't got time for that. Um, well, my my daughter is signaling me. I know we we uh, we we have talked, and I could continue talking, but I, this has been a, a great conversation, and just hearing you know your process and you know where you've been at. I mean, again, for being in 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 this type of work for so long. I mean, it, I'll be honest, you're a unicorn. It's very rare to you know to see that. You see folks who. <laughs> done it for two or three years and then they moved on um you know or maybe even a decade let me let me read you this one thing before you go dan yeah um because whenever i think i'm too old to do this i have this kid i've I've been involved with their family there were four siblings mom was having her second childhood because she had him when she was 16 you know so that she was they were kind of raising themselves um and this kid is now about 24 and he's moving to Michigan. He said, I miss you, Dawn. I hope all has been well for you. And I never really got the chance to thank you for all you've done for me and my siblings. We could have been out there doing so many different things, but you steered us in the right direction, putting together youth first. And I'm positive that I am not the only one you helped mold. A lot of us young kids and I can truly say without you, I would not be the man I am today. So thank you and God bless. And mm. that's what keeps me going. Whenever I think I'm too old to do this, I'll get something like this every time. So I think I take it as God just saying, just keep going on until the kids run away from you and fright. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Where where can folks find you if they want to reach out to you, you know, bring you out to uh, teach them the ways of, of the, uh, the youth force? <laughs> well, um, they can go on our website, which is youth1st. It's not the word. It's youth1st.org. Um, or they can email me at Dawn E. Finch at gmail.com. Dawn with the letter E at the end. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. And uh, as always, for Dan, those- it's so much fun. We, 
we could talk forever. So it's so much fun to. Oh, talk it's with you. I. We could, and I thank you. You know, and, and again for those listening, I'll put these in the show notes. Uh, WhiteHodgePodcast.com. You can go to Profane Faith. All these will be there along with some other extras. Um, and thank you, Don, for taking the time and being in your car. I mean, you know, this whole time because the internet is down. <laughs> Hopefully, that gets rectified soon. And I will definitely be in touch. I got. I got scared. I got other questions, but my daughter's like, Dad, we gotta go. We got. Okay. We gotta take her to the doctor right now. But anyways, it, this is this is oh, great. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you, Dan. Take care. You too, Don. Thank you.